Hi, this is Mark. Hello, this is Matt. And welcome to our podcast, Lessons from the Field, where we talk with staff members from the Austin Independent School District about teaching and learning in our community. Our discussions focus on various education topics and how they impact and empower teachers and students. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, Lessons from the Field. And today we're shifting over to another one of our academic support programs, our special education team. And I'm really looking forward to the dialogue that we're going to have with Chad and Katie today. And so um, to begin, I'm going to ask both of you to introduce yourself. And if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your role in the district, and maybe a little bit of a background. And Chad, if you wouldn't mind going first, that would be great. No problem. Hello, my name is Chad Olette. I'm assistant director with special education for Austin Independent School District. I'm my third year in Austin. Prior to that, I was a principal, an assistant principal, and a teacher. What did you teach, Chad? Special education or? Taught gen- general education, uh, elementary, kinder, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Awesome. Elementary focus, more or less. That's great. Yes, yeah. uh, with my admin experience being all in uh, intermediate schools, high schools. Cool. And Katie. Hi, I'm Katie Eskendall. I'm the assistant director for 504 and special education. This is my, like, 12th year at the district. I've been here for quite some time. I started as a teacher um, and then I moved to central office, been working in the academics team for the last seven years. So it's been really fun. Well, again, thank you both for being here today. And um, to start off, I'm going to ask you to sort of talk about what sort of projects special education is working on to help support teachers, uh, whether it's specifically in the special education population or in the gen ed population with special ed students. What what does that look like? What projects are massive on your plates right now? I think a key you just made was the distinction between gen ed and special ed. There really isn't because all special ed students are general education students first. Special education is a modification to the general uh, education standards so that uh, all of our students have equal access to the content and instructional strategies. So that is something that we're really focusing on is how we word things. There there is not a a defining line between special ed and general ed. Special education is just that. It's a special part of general education so that our students have equal access. One of the largest projects that I have been since uh, COVID, actually, uh, has been curriculum instruction and implementation. Uh, We had to change our whole format of instructional delivery and what did our checks for understandings and checks for engagement look like virtually. And we did not have a pandemic book on the shelf where we just grabbed it and said, here's our emergency plan. Everything was made from scratch. So first thing to start with was being analytical as to what instructional resources do we have. Uh, I think one of the other issues that we're definitely addressing in Austin with curriculum and instruction is making sure our teachers understand they have instructional resources. Just because you're in a certain type of special ed setting does not mean you are only going to use this curriculum because you are in this classroom. We need our teachers to have access to all the instructional resources that we have because each student needs an individual program that's going to address them having complete and and equal access to the curriculum. So the first thing we did have to do is make sure we had enough curriculum for all of our teachers, which was a major purchase to make sure that all of our teachers had electronic versions and access and training for how to implement the new curriculum models that are comprehensive and also what the instructional delivery can look like. And then we had a lot of other features as well. Some of our students needed to have the materials printed and delivered. So we really worked great as a team on ensuring that our teachers had the tools that they needed. That that was step one, is making sure that we identified the resources and made them immediately available to our teachers. Yeah, I think the collaborations that we've 
scene between the special education team and, you know, our other academic team has really been highlighted in this pandemic. I mean, as, you know, Chad was saying, there really wasn't a playbook for any of us, you know, so we had to sort of build the airplane, fly the airplane, fuel the airplane, design the airplane all at the same time. So I know that the really great thing that's been fun has been, again, that instructional resource rollout. Um, I know we did a lot of training in the spring when we did the reopening, and then we did a lot of training again in the summer of these different resources that are available. But I think one of the really great things is, is that we've been trying a little bit more to loop in, as Chad said, you know, special education students are general education students first. And so really helping our general education teachers understand their role play in terms of providing that instructional material and that instruction directly to kids with those modifications and support provided by the special education teacher. So once we identified the instructional resources, which we, we did grow in, in instruction and curriculum uh, immensely since March under great support of Katie and, and the academics team and it, the collaboration amongst us at the headquarter level and dispersing the information to our teachers has been amazing and not without many long days. I think uh, our, our teachers and our, our staff in education, I don't think people would understand the amount of hours that went into this and continue to do so. That is also another large step that we're making right now is today was our first day back at 100% possible. And it was being very mindful of getting our staff out onto campuses because teachers, uh, much like the students, have not been on campus either. So there is that shock for everyone. Uh, and then we needed to be very mindful of how we shared our, our new practices, how we support our folks, because you a lot of our students are coming back with some anxiety, maybe some fear, and then others are just very happy to be back into the campus. And I would say the same thing goes for staff. I know the first time I went to a campus, I was a little jarred myself, like, wow, this is really interesting to be back half virtual and having, you know, four or five kids in a classroom. So it's the support for our staff that is, is what we're working on now. We've identified those resources, as I said, we've trained on them. Now we need to help them implement and, and have our people know that they are not alone and mistakes happen. I, t I told everyone today I met pretty much that, hey, if you make a mistake, guess what? We get tomorrow to try again. I think just being supportive, reminding people to take a breath, uh, this is all new. And we just really appreciate all of the employees at the district from every capacity, from our maintenance to uh, our fields operations, to technology departments, from our buses. I mean, like everyone has really stepped it up in this district and everyone is working together. And I think just being mindful of each other and recognizing that this is new for everyone and everyone just take a deep breath. We're going to get there. We're going to figure it out. And our students need to come first and we need to be in the right mindset ourselves in order to reach our students. Yeah, I think that, um, so I think we should talk a little bit about like what those instructional resources are. Yes. Right. So I know that, you know, you've, I've heard you say them a hundred times, right? So we've got Teach Town, which was one of the first new things that we brought on. Um, I remember that in the spring um, being rolled out as something that was providing social um, stories and other things. And then I remember also that we added um, and expanded the licenses for ULS, which is for predominantly our life skills students, but to your point, doesn't necessarily have to stay within the life skills program um, if it's appropriate to use elsewhere. What are other ones? I can't remember all their names. So let me just jump right in. We have SBS programs, social behavioral skills. We have scores, which is a communication agenda basically in that room. And then uh, life skills is for those that have maybe a greater cognitive need, that, that they need more modifying of the curriculum. And then we also have resource rooms. So in resource, we were using IXL. And then in our scores and 
SBS classrooms. Uh, we were using the Teach Town materials. We were only using the basics, but then we brought in social skills. And then we also bring in MetaPlay for the pre-K students, pre-KK. And then we're using the transition curriculum as well for our students 18 to 22 and some of our high school students that are going to be transitioning soon. And for uh, life skills, as you said, and it's, it is available, these resources can be used across the board. You're not pigeonholed by the title of the class you're in. But yes, we use News to You, which has unique learning systems. And then we are also using L3, which is another component of theirs. We brought in Vizzle as well uh, that complements uh, News to You really well. And uh, we have also been using Goalbook for the development of goals and also as an instructional tool. Goalbook is also blends really well with Lead Forward. So we've been to help with instructional strategies and planning for our teachers. The, the way that it rolls out uh, the, the longer strands of TEKS, uh, which are our state standards, it spells out with Lead Forward which, which ones are going to be covered over multiple years. And we really make sure that we, we hone in on those TEKS um, and, and really make sure our students know those because they're going to be addressing them year after year. And that is use, utilizing Goalbook and Lead Forward. If so, I forgot a curriculum, I'd be surprised, but I'm pretty sure that's what we have. No, I think that's all of them. But I remember like with Goalbook is really making that connection to the idea that Goalbook is not only just about like writing goals, but like you were saying, it's also about providing instruction. There's instructional strategies written within the Goalbook platform that can help not only our special education teachers with modifying the curriculum or providing accommodation, but that can also be transferred over into that general ed classroom for those teachers to really understand, what is it, uh, universal design and being able to make their lessons accessible from the jump. And then also I think about, I've seen strategies in there for English learners. Uh, we have some students in our programming who are, even though they're special education students, they're also English learners. And I know Goldbook also supports them as well, does it not? Yes, but that is a flaw right now in the instruction world, I can tell you, is the second languages. We have students that are speaking Spanish, Mandarin, Vietnamese. Vietnamese, you know, we have a, a whole wealth of knowledge, of, excuse me, languages, and a bilingual curriculum needs to address each home language. And there's not anything out there that exists right now. And in our vetting of these instructional materials, we did a very thorough process of looking at multiple different curriculums and instructional strategy platforms to make sure we pick the ones that would best complement our students' needs and be easily utilized by our teachers. And all of those models that we just named, they blew everyone out of the water. I mean, there wasn't even a comparison. They're TEKS connected, they're comprehensive, meaning they're math, science, history, and English. They have data uh, diagnostic tools built in. A lot, lot of thought went into this. These were not just programs that walked in off the street. It, it took a great amount of time and many, many people involved, including other regions too. We even looked at like region 19 did a huge RFE uh, recently. And we looked at all of their data too, just to see how it compared with our results. And again, we how about this also? We work with what is called the big eight, the largest eight districts in Texas. All eight are using these electronic platforms in some capacity. I think we're utilizing them the most, and we've put more in our hands, in our teachers' hands than anyone else has. But uh, again, largest eight in Texas are using all of these platforms as well. Right. So also, I think it's really interesting the support that I know your two instructional coordinators have really been rolling out. Uh, despite the fact that we are uh, serving 11,000 students, we have two people who are really supporting the rollout of this curriculum. And one of the things that I think is really beneficial was when the sort of general education class classroom teachers were getting blueprints, it's really difficult to blueprint a course for special education because as you said at the beginning of our conversation, really all of our kids are gen ed kids first. And then we modify and accommodate and use specialized instruction to really serve them. But I did 
know that Emily and Amy, um, our mighty team of two, put together a really great template for those teachers to be able to create their own course and blend and provide sort of a space for those teachers to feel like they could utilize that specialized instruction and be able to provide these instructional resources. I know that that was something that was put into the commons and they built a really great dashboard. So we really try to keep all of our stuff together in one space, right? So we have one place for all of our teachers to come to so that they have all the tools that they need um, ready and available to them. And one of the tools that was ready and available to them was sort of this template to be used in blend because that was part of that airplane that we were building, designing, creating, and flying all at the same time was how do we switch from being face-to-face, paper and pencil, to now being virtual out into the ether and using this new, not really new, but this newly um, uh, decided program for all of our students all at once. And so I know there's this big push to have all of our content run through Blend so that our students would be able to access it equitably uh, from home. And so there was a template that was put together. Can you describe that template a little bit? I can't really remember exactly what the components were. I do know. I do know that Amy Cox and Emily, I can't remember Emily's last name now, help me. Hammett? Yeah. I know that we they've been working real closely with the professional learning team on getting a lot of those courses out and helping mm-hmm. teachers. You guys have just raised a whole bunch of questions and stuff that I want to just go go back and elaborate a tiny bit if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful. I think it's awesome. All of the supports that you guys, all the platforms and all of the different types of uh, supports are that are available to help teaching, to help the kids and everything else. So my first question is related to that is, how do teachers know where to start? Um, where do, I mean, how, how does all of this fit in? Because sometimes it can be overwhelming. Oh my God, I have so many choices. Where do I begin? So what? how do you suggest, what does that look like for, and maybe it depends on grade level, I don't know. But what, is it, what does that look like for a teacher with working with the special ed pop? Before I answer that, I just wanted to throw two things out there that I, I slipped on. Uh, one, Katie said 11,000 students. I, I just want to clarify that. That's over 11,000 special education students. Austin has about 80,000 students in our district. Correct. So I didn't want to anyone to think we only had 11,000 total as 11,000 special education students. And then another program that we I didn't mention was um, formerly known as Excelify is Frontline. And that's another documentation tool that has great potential. It's very promising to assist us with documentation. And with anything new, there's just that learning curve. So I'm looking forward to getting full implementation of it and uh, really being able to document and track our services better. So to individualize the programming, how does the teacher know where to go on that hub, as we're calling it, which is that one-stop shop that Katie mentioned about where all of our tools are located. Uh, We have a hub, and it's got an outline of all of our different uh, instructional resources. So you can click on it, and it'll give you a description of the resource. Uh, We also have a help desk, which uh, has a hotline that that teachers can call in and get connected to the right people that they need to speak with, whether it's um, an administrator or a curriculum specialist or a, a variety of the other specialists. We have to ask those questions, and we are traffic on the ground. We are not all home base at headquarters. Uh, today, I was on the campus making sure teachers were supported myself. And our, our whole team is out there uh, supporting campuses today, making sure that the teachers are comfortable and making sure that students are receiving the best education we can provide. So that being said, we might start off, let's say, with using the basic program for a student who has some behavioral needs and it's got some behavior redirection lessons and maybe it's just not working and they want to try these social skills because we're realizing that maybe it's the 
social skills that's causing the issue for the behavior to become dysregulated, then they just email into the curriculum specialist, myself, anyone on their team, and we can flip their license into the social skills program to see if that data shows more progress. Uh, there is not a fit program for everyone. I, I think we're going to see a lot of teeter-tottering of using different programs, which I think is perfectly acceptable. And it actually makes great sense that you utilize a variety of resources. Just, just because it, it looks like it might be one thing does not mean another tool is not going to work better. So where do you start? Uh, you're going to have to utilize or understand the programs and start working with kids, implementing the tool. And if it's working, then you continue. But but you have the versatility to be able to switch which instructional resource you're using. Don't know if yeah. that makes sense. And well, and, and also, Mark, you have to remember, again, I'm going to go back to this because I think it's a, such an important phrase. These kids are general education kids first. So where do you start? You start with the same place you would if you were trying to design a lesson for any student. What is it that the student needs to learn? Where are they right now? Where are they going? And then to Chad's point, what tool do I have in my toolbox that's going to best support them moving from where they are to where they need to go, right? Whether that's something that's behavioral, whether that's something that's academic, you know, it's it's the same process that you start with with any student. You look at what is it that they need and what tool do I have that might best support them being able to move forward. So I have a goal by the end of the year to, to hopefully get there is uh, have everyone on the same type of platform for objective writing, because if it's a three-part objective, I think that's going to help as be a foundational starting point as well. So in that objective, identifying what content you're going to use, what instructional strategy you're going to use, and what should the product be. So when you look at the student and everyone is supposed to produce this level of the TEKS, how are you going to get there? Well, we're going to be using this instructional strategy, which lead forward spells out nine different instructional strategies that cover all the TEKS. And then you just identify the content that's going to get you there. So if you can identify those three things, you could walk into any classroom. And if you look up and see that objective on the board, you can really gauge what every student should be doing, what conversation should look like. And if it's compare, contrast, or sequencing, or summarizing, you know what the uh, what the ask is. And then the teacher identifying that instructional resource is just, it's just going to make a, a day and night difference as for being able to support our campuses. And that, as you're, as both of you guys were talking, this, that loops back to something you said at the beginning, Chad, about it's okay to not get it right the first time. You know, it's okay to make that mistake. And then, okay, this didn't work the way I thought it would. And I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try something new um, and using the software. Is that kind of a, a safe leap of faith or am I making an assumption there? Well, it's, it's uh, <laughs> the materials, as I said earlier, they're, they're all TEKS connected. So mm -hmm. if you're implementing any of the tools, you're, tech, you're still implementing the TEKS. So if there's a better way to get there, if there's a different platform that a student's more responsive to, that's something that you can gauge as you move along. And it is okay to make mistakes. If you had to go home after making a mistake, I'd have been home by 7.15 this morning. Um, so it, it is okay. Well, and again, Mark, you know, when we think about special education teachers, you know, they're teachers too, just like first grade teachers are first grade teachers. And, you know, special education teachers are first grade teachers. You know, all of our teachers are, are within the realm of being able to, you know, try something because they think it might work. And then find out that maybe it doesn't work and then go back to the drawing board and try something different. I mean, that's teaching. That's teaching and learning in and of itself. Not any one of our teachers ever gets it right the first time all the time. And if they do, they need to be on your next podcast because that's who we need to be talking to, right? Is exemplar. <laughs> exemplar people. But I just think it's, you know, it's, again, it goes to that, that mind shift that somehow special education teachers are different or that they have a different job or that their job is somehow, you know, immensely more challenging because, you know, they're dealing with this very special population. And really, you know, they're just teachers, you know, they're, they've got objectives that they're working towards, they have students they're working with, and now they have more instructional resources to support their teaching and learning than they really ever have before. And so what we're really excited about is the fact that now it's that full package of not only being able to support their students, but then to also have multiple 
tools that they can try to support their students instead of just one. So the resources are plentiful, yes. And I think it's just a great time to be in special ed, to be honest. I mean, the resources are growing every day. You start with the evaluation, and then we give you the tool goal book that helps you take the data and put it into present level statements. And then you build goals from there. And then you can take those goals and combine them with Lead Forward that gives you the instructional strategies to reach TEAGS. And then you can utilize the content from the instructional resources that are more curriculum. And then you you have your objective with a, with a, a product. I mean, it kind of walks you right through what a whole day would be. And uh, with training, and once we get more savvy with these instructional tools, it, it's really going to take some of the burden off of our teachers because for the longest time, special ed teachers, it was kind of like, hey, you're on your own. Good luck. Uh, lessons by Pinterest. And, and what you what did you work on this weekend? And they, they were doing double the work. So now we're giving them the tools that, that I hope they're finding user-friendly. And we've been getting really strong feedback. And I'm really interested in seeing the data at the quarter. Thank you for sharing that. And I appreciate the message that you're that's being very consistent, that, that the, the special ed students are still gen ed students. And that's what they are first. And we have to remember that. And I hadn't considered it quite like that. And I think it's a mindset change for a lot of us, I would imagine. Do you, do you find it challenging to reach out to the gen ed teachers to make them aware of these resources? Is there, a, is there a mindset challenge to that? Mark, it's not so much that that question's impossible to answer. Um, it's just that there is a mind shift that we have sometimes. And, and I even hear it bubbling up in this conversation that we're having because we're not being perfect with it either. The idea that there's a special population of students on our campus or the idea that, okay, there's 11,000 special education students in this district. Well, really, to Chad's point, you're right. There are 80,000 students. 11,000 of them are provided specialized instruction, but they're still just students in our district. And I think sometimes we have to focus in and out and in and out of knowing that students are students, all students are gen ed students first, and then focusing in on what is the specialized need of a student. Because we have students in our district who are L's, who are working in a bilingual program or a dual language program, and they need different instruction. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are other or that we treat them that way. And special education students are the same way. And so when we talk about teachers, it is sometimes challenging for us because we do want to provide those teachers who teach a specialized curriculum, whether that curriculum is in a different language or that curriculum is at a different level, that we want to provide them the support directly to let them know, hey, I know your job has some parts of it that are unique. And I want to make sure that those unique aspects of your job are supported. But it is challenging when we start trying to say, you're a gen ed teacher, you're a dual language teacher, you're a special education teacher. And those labels help us organize ourselves and definitely help us support those teachers. But they can also be detrimental to the idea that they're all teachers, right? And and, and they all need support. Yeah, that's wrong. So the way I look at it, I, I have got in front of gen ed teachers. I've had the privilege to, to do some training. We're, we're getting more and more now that we're working more with the professional learning and academics office, more of that opportunity. But how I start off that training is if you're walking up to campus in the morning from the parking lot and a kid trips and falls in front of you and smacks their head on the ground, you don't lean down and look and go, oh, special ed kid, not mine, and keep walking, okay? And you're not a nurse. I understand that. You're not a doctor. We have teaching credentials, okay? But what do you do? You yell for help. You get out your phone. You don't leave the student. You, you treat them like every single student. They are just a student. So in the classroom, if you apply that same analogy, if a student is in the back struggling with math, what do you do? Do you say, I'm sorry, you need to go to your special education classroom. You don't know what you're doing. No, you utilize your resources just like you did for that kid that fell. You sent someone to the office. You made a phone call. You you call the special ed teacher. You ask the TA for assistance. You utilize your resources. So I, I know it's kind of jovial to put it that way, but I mean, realistically, I mean, that that is black and white right there. That They are all our students, uh, a, regardless of what classroom you report to. That's an absolute great analogy. Well, and, and Mark, I think that the, the way for us to contact and connect with general education 
education teachers is for them to not think of us as we're the special education department. Therefore, we only serve special ed teachers or special ed kids because you know what? Those are the children who are in your classroom too. And so we want we want all teachers to know that we're here to support them in the type of instruction that they need to provide, not necessarily the kind of student and service that's in front of them. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It's really more about helping them understand how to provide accommodations and modifications and how to reach those kids than it is about us talking to one particular set of teachers over another. Now, there are times when that's appropriate. Like, you know, Chad was talking about Excelify. Excelify is definitely a program that will be heavily utilized by special education teachers and will not be utilized by general education teachers. So in that instance, it is appropriate for us to have a very narrow audience. Mm -hmm. But when we're just talking about instruction, we should be talking to everyone. So we're not there yet. I have a five-year plan and I was hoping to be further along. COVID kind of messed me up. Um, (laughs) I had this goal, this lofty goal of working with different capacities of our staff. And we have some limitations. I I, I do have a different plan. And what what I'm getting at is working with our nurses and our other specialists, like our education diagnosticians and LSSPs or psychologists. If if we could have, I don't know, I don't know the platform yet. Uh, Again, I'm I'm, I'm just sharing what my future holds, hopefully, is to have them train on what is the difference between eligibility for special ed and what does it mean? And then also what disabilities do our students have and what do you see? What do you see with which meds? And what are things that you should be aware of? What if a kid comes into your room that has, you know, diagnosis A and eligibility B, what should you expect when engaging that student? And that is going to come from those diagnosticians, LSSPs and SLPs and all of those amazing related services teams we have, including our nursing staff. So I think some of it too is just that fear of the unknown. Wow, they're putting this kid that has all of these special factors I need to consider. And, and it can be uh, until you start working with the kid and you see, oh, wow, he's just a kid or she's just uh, a young lady. It's, it's all the same. They just have some some unique needs. I, I think that some of it too is just the lack of knowledge because me having that gen ed background, I can tell you that there was not a lot of emphasis on special education in my credentialing program. And coming to Texas and taking the Texas test to be a teacher, there were less than a half dozen questions out of 100 that pertain to special ed. So we, we need to open our eyes to it more and, and, and have our gen ed teachers get more of an overview training. It doesn't need to be all day, but just kind of like, here's some things to expect. Uh, uh, if you start to see this behavior, here's a way to respond. I think that's some of it too, that uh, not knowing how to engage a student who becomes dysregulated or is having some emotional needs. And if you're not trained in that area, or if you're not aware of it, it can get real quick. And and, and that's no, no fault of anyone except for lack of training, but we are, we have a plan. Thank you both for sharing. And, and Chad, I look forward to five years down the road. We'll, we'll touch base again and, and see where we are with that. I think it's great though. You got, we have to have a forward vision in the work that we do. It's important. So we're going to loop back to what I heard you guys say uh, earlier in the podcast about some, uh, obviously some challenges with remote teaching and learning and, and obviously some opportunities. The special education hub, the, the website that's available to teachers, uh, the work that you did with our templates in Blend and how that's available to, to teachers. And so, I mean, it's in the news all the time. How are we supporting students with IEPs? How are we supporting that population? And whether it's an opportunity or a challenge or a little bit of both, I'm wondering if you guys might be able to share some stories about what that looks like in our school district. So to answer your question a little bit, Mark, I think about some things that like Dr. Hickman has said about how this pandemic has really thrust special education teaching into the spotlight and made people aware of how it is that our students must be served. Because one of the big things that we've been dealing with in this pandemic is the idea that, you know, free and appropriate education, FAPE, has not been waived, right? We we are required to teach our students and to provide them as much as we possibly can. And we have put together continuity plans or 
contingency plans as they were before to talk about the things that are just not realistically available over a remote setting. You know, there are some things that we do with students that are written into their individual education program that are based on being able to be in the room with that student, right? And those are things that we cannot do. But in terms of being able to actually reach them and teach them, that is something that we have had to put our heads together and really think, how do we do this, right? And I know that Chad mentioned a couple of things that we tried in the spring. We did packets. So for many of our students, electronic work is just not, that's not possible for them. And so we provided teachers a way to mail curriculum and instruction to their kids directly. Um, this was outside of the packets that we were doing for all of our general education kids. Uh, this was literally specially designed instruction being mailed to kids at their home so that they would be able to access it without having to use a device. Um, if that's not something that was able, that they were really able to do. Chad, I'm sure you have lots of other examples of how we've had to really help support teachers reimagine yeah. the way that they teach so that they can reach our students at home and so that they are able to provide faith in this new remote environment. Well, so, I wish I had the answer to answer it all. Uh, it, it's not out there. We we tried no. different platforms. We played with synchronous and asynchronous learning. We tried videos. We had uh, headquarters staff create mini video, mini like vignettes, like five minute videos that students could have access to that were incorporating different lessons. That's how we got started with urgency. And then utilizing the, the curriculum houses, like they provided training to our staffs on how, how to utilize their materials virtually. So they really came through. I, I was really happy with the companies that we work with. I, they provided an abundance of training and they were very much responsive to our teams and how to provide instruction. It was also making sure that we had that communication with the families, parents and the student, so that we all had an idea of what we were trying to accomplish. And this never being done before, it was a little bit of a, was it guess and check? It, it was not a perfect system and it didn't work for, for all students. I can tell you that right now. Some students really had a hard time with the electronic education system. And I'm not going to say that it was perfect for everyone, but we tried with every tool we had and we corrected ourselves, reinvented. And it was a, it was a very stressful process in that it's never been done. And we had that accountability, as Katie said, with faith. We can't put special ed on hold. Uh, our students need special services. We had to continue to provide them. I wish I had one answer for it. Each circumstance was individualized for each student. Isn't so, that the reason why we call it specialized instruction? Because it's special. <laughs> I don't think we could provide one answer, you yeah. know, but I, but I do think that what we did do is exactly what Chad was saying. We gave sort of broad instructional support to teachers and we said, try this. If that doesn't work, try the next thing. If that doesn't work, try the next thing. There was a lot of talking. And I will say that the major partner that we've had in all of this has been our parents. Right? And I know that that's true. Um, when I was working with early childhood, you know, we talked a lot about the idea that when you've got a four or five, even six, seven-year-old kid who's trying to manipulate and get through remote learning, that really the person that you're trying to reach more often is the parent or the adult in the room with them, right? Because they've now become officially your partner in education. And I think that there's a lot that we've done supporting our teachers. And how do you talk to parents about the supports that they can offer their kids? How do you extend their knowledge of how to support their kids at home? Um, we did parent meetings. Um, we just had one the other day about behavior, talking about like, if you have a child, you know, who has in the past, you know, shown behavior problems, how can you deal with that um, in the best way possible in the most positive light possible at home? Because you may not have an SBS teacher, you know, in your home. Now, all of a sudden, our parents are our partners, and they're helping us do these things to deescalate children. And so we have to give our parent a lot of strategies and our parents a lot of information about how to take break, you know, how to redirect, how to say, it's okay if your kid needs to just get off the camera for a minute. So there's a lot of permission and grace also kind of going around with 
with our teachers to let them know that they're not going to get it right the first time, probably not even the fifth time. And sometimes it's okay to just stop and pause. <laughs> and the parents in Austin, I, I, I'll just tell you, have been magnificent. I spoke with a lot of parents and for the most part, uh, a lot of them took to the challenge and, and they worked with the teachers and they were very appreciative of the teachers and staff. And they, I think, have a different understanding too of what the teachers are, are, are doing each day and how well thought out and planned it is. I've got probably twice as many compliments as I have any kind of serious concerns just because I, I think the parents see the amount of effort that's gone in to educate their children and the, and the parents have been gracious and, and very supportive. So I want to thank the parents of Austin for that, for sure. That that makes a huge difference. And, you know, when, when parents did struggle, we have our help hotline. They could call in. We would get back to them uh, quickly to help. I know the team that I work with uh, has been uh, very responsive to our parents. And I will say that, you know, having those parents buy in to, to the idea of this is what it's going to be for now. And we're here to support you has been wonderful in Austin. I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. And also to our older students that are, uh, you know, logging in on their own and helping their siblings log in. It, it's just been a, a very kind of community building, if you will, but also isolated in your home, if that makes any sense. I, I think that we feel a little closer as a group than, than we did when we were, you know, reporting to school every day. I love how, I mean, it's that partnership that sometimes has been lacking in the past. And this is, it sounds like it's an opportunity that's presented itself that is very helpful on all aspects to, for the students. So I do appreciate both of you taking the time today to talk with me. I, I learned a whole lot and um, I realize I have a lot more I still need to learn about the work, this work in the district. But I do want to take a complete right turn for a couple of questions. Please do not think too much about these. Just the first thing that comes in your mind. And Katie, I'm going to ask you to go first. And then uh -oh. <laughs> so Katie, when we know it's safe, when we know that virus is gone 100%, we know we don't have to wear masks. It's scientifically proven. It's the first thing you want to do. Oh man, I um no, the first thing that I would do when I know it's 100% safe is I really honestly, I would love to be able to go to a restaurant and enjoy dinner, not necessarily socially distanced away from my friends um, and have, I guess, almost a party, but a party I don't have to clean up. So that would be the way I would think about that. Awesome. Thank you, Katie. And Chad? Um, it's not going to be available, but I was supposed to see Willie Nelson a month ago and they canceled for three years. I went all the way out to New Brussels and I got there and they were like, the venue's closed and they had a sign up that says postponed one year. So I want to go to a concert. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Dr. Kaufman, uh, when we interviewed him, that's what he said. I want to go to a concert. First thing that popped out of his head. Mm. So... Follow-up question, and Katie, this kind of relates to how you chose to respond to my first question. And Katie, I'll invite you to go first. Your favorite Austin restaurant. Oh, wow. My favorite Austin restaurant. Unfortunately, I would have to say my favorite Austin restaurant has closed, oh, which no. is really sad. But the place that I would probably head to um, when the pandemic is over and everything is safe, I would have loved to have gone back to Shady Grove Shady because Grove. I love Shady Grove. I love the outside space. I love the vibe of it. Um, I love being down off of Barton Springs. That's been a longstanding spot in my life because I have you know lived in Austin my whole life I'm one of those magical unicorns that's actually from here so if Shady Grove's not available I suppose then Trudy's will have to be my next backup okay so. nice thank you and Chad I have fallen in love with the Driscoll 
Okay, nice. It's just, uh, I think the nostalgia and the food's decent. It's just, uh, it's got so much history inside. That's right, man. That I think I've had the opportunity to eat there once, maybe. I've eaten there once. Ages ago. So I may need mm-hmm. to visit again, but I understand the nostalgia for sure. I mean, just yeah. that building. Alrighty, so um, in wrapping up, I'm just going to invite you to, if you have any words of inspiration, words of wisdom that you would care to share, just real brief to our teachers, families, community members, and uh, we'll invite you to share that and then wrap it up. If either of you would care to go first. I think the only thing that I would say is just to remember that the most important thing you can do for your students is to keep their hope alive. That's what our kids read right now. They need to know that they are cared for, that you care about them, and to keep their hope going, that they're going to be able to come back to school and enjoy hanging out with their friends and eating lunch and for the littles going to recess and, and you know, having a place to call uh, their community once more. So I know some of our kids have returned to campus, but even though they've returned, it doesn't quite look the same and it doesn't quite feel the same. So I would say that my goal right now for my own children is to really just try to keep their hope going. Thanks, Katie. Um, remember why we do it. We do it for kids. All the extra stuff we have to do, all the different directions we feel like we're being pulled in, it's for kids. And if you're doing something that's not for kids, stop and get back on track. Just just remember, uh, these, are, these are your future neighbors. These are our future leaders. And you have the honor of building them to reach their potential. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please be sure to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. These podcasts are produced by the Professional Learning Department of the Austin Independent School District. Follow us on Twitter at AustinISDPL. Until next time, stay safe, my friends.